All right, how is everyone this morning? The week's been okay? Well, you look good, and uh, you sound good this morning, and you are in the right place this morning. So uh, I don't know how the rest of the week's gone. You've gotten several things right uh, this morning. Uh, we're looking forward to digging into the Word. I hope you're excited about hearing uh, what another one of Jesus' stories mean to our lives. But before we dig in there, let me ask you a question. Again, this is one of those places where it's kind of optional whether you answer this out loud or not. Uh, this one's not too bad, so if you want to answer it out loud, it's up to you. But has anyone ever told you that you are one in a million. You are one in a million. Now, I'm assuming that when someone would say to you, you are one in a million, that that is a compliment. Although, if I stop and think about it, it, it really could kind of go both, both ways. But has anyone ever said to you, you are one in a million? If they have, they lied to you. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. They actually undersold the statement. Because if you were born in 1800, and if you were this morning, good job out of you. You're living well. Uh, but if you were born in 1800, you would have been one in one billion. If you waited till 1900 to be born, you would have been one in 1.6 billion. If you had been born in the year 2000, you would have been one in 6.1 billion. If you were born in 2020, you'd be one in 7.8 billion people. That's a lot of people. No wonder nobody will get your order at Starbucks or PJs. I mean, it's a busy place. But even if you'd say that's just the number of people who are alive today, Imagine if we also kind of back up and say, what about all of the people who have ever lived? The, the people who count these kinds of things, and I don't know who those people are, but the people who count these kinds of things tell us that over the course of the history of the earth, there have been 107 billion people. So, when someone tells you that you are one in a million, they are underselling that statement in a huge way. This morning, the good news that I want to tell you, this morning, the amazing news that I want to tell you, that this is, this is amazing. Our God sees, knows, and cares about how I spend my life. One in 107 billion people. And the amazing thing is that for each person who is in this room, plus the other 107 billion God sees, knows, and cares about how you spend, live your life. It's amazing. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 12 and verse 7, he said he has even numbered the hairs on your head. Now, if you get a little bit bored during the service, and I'm sure you won't do that, but, but if you were to get a little bit bored during the service, you want to work on something this afternoon while you're waiting for the football games to come on, do the math. 107 billion times a, every person it says has about 100,000 hairs on their head. Figure out how many hairs God has counted. It is because we have a personal God who sees, knows, and cares about the details of how I spend my life. 
Now, if I were to try to find an analogy uh, for what that would look like in, in our lives, we don't have a whole lot of access to billions. I mean, really, we don't have a whole lot of access uh, to billions. But, but I want you to go into your backyard, and I want you to find the closest ant pile. And, and, and in the nicest way you can, uh, I kind of want you to kick it a little bit so that you can get all of those ants up and about and seeing. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to go out there every single day for like 10 days so that you can learn and see and understand the different personality of each one of those ants. I want you to take a look at those ants, and I want you to be able to identify how each one spends his day. And then I want you to begin to get emotionally involved in what happens to those ants. Don't get too emotionally involved, because eventually you're going to get a bucket of andro and take care of that. But, but I want you to see the lives of those ants and get to the place where you can see the different, oh, look, there's, there's Johnny Ant, and there's Tommy, and, and, and all of these different ants. Now, it is quite unlikely that you're going to do that. Because how can you tell the difference in all of those ants? And who really cares about the difference in all of those ants? But hear me, you and I have a personal God who sees, knows, and cares about how I spend my life. That's an amazing reality. In fact, Jesus tells a story to kind of emphasize the fact that he sees, knows, and cares about how I spend my life. He tells the story of the master who has three servants. The master is called away on some kind of a trip. He disappears for a while. It tells us that he's gone for a long time. And while he is gone, he invests, he entrusts, he, he trusts with his servants, and he gives each one of them this amount of money and we see what happens. And the master comes back and he wants to check on see how all of that unfolds. It is because this is a story about the fact that the master sees, knows, and cares about how they spend their money. Just like God sees, knows, and cares how we spend our lives. Because we have a God who is personally invested in our lives. So what does that investment look like? As we take a look at the passage of Scripture this morning, what does that look like in terms of what makes, how do we know that God is personal from this story? Well, I want you to see in this passage, I want you to see from here that God invests in my life. This personal God invests in my life. You see, the master takes his resources that belong to him, and he puts them in the possession of the servants. Now, he does this in several different ways. He does this in a unique way because he tells us that he gives each one of the servants a different amount. It's not all the same. And in fact, he tells us he knows these servants because he's personally engaged with these servants. He gives them different amounts based on their abilities. And so to one he gives five, and to another he gives two, and to another one he gives one. But even though we see the differences in those amounts, what you need to hear and what you need to understand is that he is generous with every single one of them. You see, the word talents is a funny word. We, we see that in terms of our abilities and the things that we are good at. But really, the root understanding of what that word is, is that it is a piece of currency. 
And it wasn't until about the 15th century that we began to use this currency term as our abilities. In fact, that transition happens because of this parable right here. That's where the word is is used in the way we use it in our lives today. But to begin with, it is cash money. And a talent, what you need to know is that a talent is a big chunk of cash money. Depending on who you read and whose research you do, but we understand that the currency exchange of a single talent is about 16 to 20 years of a person's wages. That's a pretty good chunk of cash. In fact, think back how much money you've made in the last 16 to 20 years and imagine somebody gave you a check for that tomorrow morning. You'd go to the bank fast, wouldn't you? I mean, that, that's a big, generous chunk of money. I also think it's kind of funny because they tell us that a talent was a, a, a metal piece of currency that weighed about 60 to 90 pounds. So imagine going, you know, to the convenience store and saying, I, I just need to buy a Snickers bar. Do you have change for a talent? And you haul this giant 60 to 90 pounds. But whatever it is, he was generous with each one of them. He gave one of them the one talent, 16 to 20 years worth of salary. The second one he gave two, and to one he gave five talents, almost 100 years worth of salary. But notice, even though he gave them uniquely and differently and he gave them generously, make sure you also notice that he gave one to each one of his servants. This isn't a story about a man who had 20 servants and chose three of his favorite servants to entrust his resources to. He had three servants and he entrusts something to every single one of them. Here's one of the points where we apply this to our lives. What you need to know is that God has invested into your life. God has invested resources into your life. Now let's think about what some of those resources look like for a moment. For every person, it includes the ability to breathe. It includes a, a, a natural environment that is designed to give us life. It includes the gift of of the structure of the universe with gravitational pulls that give us seasons and give us safety and put us the exact right distance from the sun. Those are all gifts that our Heavenly Father has given to us. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, a follower of Him, then we also need to understand that He has also given us salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. He gives us his word. He gives us hope. He gives us victory over death. He gives us access to the very throne room of God. That's the investments that God has given to every single believer because a personal God invests in our lives. But not only that, to you as an individual, he has granted each of you specific gifts and resources as well. He has entrusted you with a platform. He has entrusted you with a degree of resources. Now you may say on the spectrum, I don't have that many resources, but the fact that we live in America makes us one of the wealthiest people in the world. He has given you a mind. He has given you experiences. He has given you strengths. Some of those strengths are physical strengths. Some of those are emotional strengths. Some of those are mental strengths. He has given you uh, personality. All of you have a personality 
personality is borderline in a couple cases, but, but it, it is all of you have a personality. He has given you relationships. He has given you so many more gifts than that. He has been generous with every single one of us because the personal God has given you a wealth of entrusted resources into our lives. Be encouraged. Know the fact that he loves you and cares for you because he has invested into your life. Now, I would also tell you that it's really clear in this passage of Scripture as well that God has expectations for my life. Now, we, we may begin with the idea, boy, it's fantastic that God has given me all of these gifts. That, that's wonderful that God would care about my life in that way. But understand that as, as important as the investment of gifts, it is also an expression of his personal engagement in our lives that he actually cares what we do with those resources. Now, there's a little bit of controversy in interpreting this passage of Scripture because there's a little bit of some folks that, that kind of think, boy, this is really kind of mean that this master is, and particularly the way that he treats this third servant. He is so unfair, and, and maybe he wasn't clear about what he was expected to do, and boy, this is really not fair. And in fact, there are even a few people who kind of look at this passage of Scripture and say, this is really a whole parable to tell us how unfair the master was and that the life stinks sometimes and the life is unfair. But that's, that's not the heart here at all. Uh, the heart here is that the first servant, the second servant, and even the third servant knew from the very beginning that when they were entrusted with these resources, there was an expectation that the servants would do something with what they had been given. There was an expectation that of all of the resources that they had, all three clearly understood that the regardless of their ability, regardless of the amount of resources that they had received, there were expectations. And I think that that's a blessing to our lives because that means that not a single one of those servants, not a single one of us is ignored and even in the eyes of God says, well, I don't expect much from them at all. God knows what you've been given. And he has a sense of expectation that you, yes, you can do something with what he has given to you. That's a blessing for our lives as well. Now, I do like this passage of Scripture because inside of this passage of Scripture, there are several different ways in which we can realize and how to make sure that we meet some of the expectations that God has on our lives. In fact, as we take a look at these three servants and how they responded, there's a couple things that I think we can apply in life. But one of the things is if you watch that first servant, what we realize is that long-term results begin with immediate action. Long-term results begin with immediate action. You see, it tells us uh, that in verse 16, it says, Then he went, he who had received the five talents, went at once and traded with them. Listen, I got to tell you that there's a lot of things that we want to see happen in life. There's a lot of dreams that we have, and some of them are even spiritual dreams, and say, boy, I can't wait for this to happen, or I want this to happen, or I know this should happen inside of my life. But what happens is that we, we often say, I'm going to get to that eventually. 
I, I know I, I need to be doing it. I know I need to make that shift in my life. I, I know that I, I need to do that in time. I need to get around to doing it. Let me tell you, the things that you put on your list to do eventually often don't get done. I mean, that's not rocket science. But what this man says is, I've been given this, and I'm going to work with this at once, immediately. If you want to see things begin to stir and move inside of your spiritual life, is that when the Spirit of God, when the Word of God, when you hear something from Him, like is our expectation any time that we come before the Word in a worship service or in our own personal time before God, when you hear from Him, the response time needs to be at once. It needs to be immediate. It needs to be right now. I'm going to take care of this. Every once in a while, I say, oh, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to doesn't change our lives. What changes our lives is at once, immediately, time to go to work. We also see from these servants that significant responsibility begins with simple effectiveness. Significant responsibility begins with simple effectiveness. Several years ago, there was a best-selling book. It just kind of rocketed on the sales charts inside of the life of the church. It was called The Prayer of Jabez. You remember The Prayer of Jabez? Uh, the Prayer of Jabez was uh, it's a prayer from the Old Testament. And it is a, a man that just says, God, would you enlarge my territory? And we understood that to say that wasn't just him saying, I, I want to be richer, I want to be wealthier. He, he, he said, would you give me more responsibility? I, I want to do more. I, I want to make a bigger difference. And the reason why that prayer of Jabez book took off is because it resonated inside of our hearts. And there were a lot of us that said, I, I, I want to have a bigger impact. I, I, I don't want to just do little things. I, I want to do something big. I want to make a difference in my world. I want to make a difference in the world. And if we have any of that hunger inside of us to be a person that says, I'm okay with what I'm doing, but I believe in my heart that I'm supposed to be doing something on a larger scale than what I am now, then what we learn from these servants is, Significant responsibility begins with simple effectiveness. You see, as the first servant and the second servant, as they are effective and efficient and obedient with what they have in their hands right now, then God multiplies that later. Now sometimes we look and say, boy, if I had that platform, if I had those resources, if I had those opportunities, boy, these are the things that I would do. I would tell you that there's a good chance that the things that you would do then are the same things that you're doing now. So if you are being effective with the resources, the platform, the voices, the relationships, the things that you have right now, then there's a good chance you will be effective with those things down the road. But if you're waiting right now and saying, you know what, I'm just going to mail it in right now. But if I ever get to a larger platform, if I ever get to more resources, if I ever have larger relationships, well, then these are the things that I would do. Then, 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 then you've missed it. It begins by being faithful in right now. And when we're faithful in right now, then there's a high likelihood that God says, okay, I can give you a little bit more. I can give you a little bit more. Now, sometimes... 
that doesn't necessarily mean fame and fortune. But it does say, God, God will say, I can trust you with more. And he does trust us with more. As we also look at these servants, we also realize that something is better than nothing. Now that's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Uh, I mean, most of the time we, we, we would agree that something is better than, uh, than nothing. Uh, for lunch today, would you like something or would you like nothing? Uh, I'm voting on, on something. Uh, I like something. But there was something here in which this third servant, because of fear, the text tells us because of laziness, because of slothfulness, he was so intimidated by the task, or at least that's what he said, he took the talent, the resources, what had been entrusted and given to him, and he digs a hole out back. Now you do have to understand that that was actually a common form of banking. There wasn't a bank on the corner all the way around. If you wanted to keep something safe, if you wanted to keep something away from other people, then what are you going to do with it? You know, you put it in a safe, you put it in a box in your house, people are going to come look at that box. But, but if you bury it in the ground, then, then, then that's a way to keep it safe. The problem is that safe plan isn't always that safe. In fact, people lose and forget where the hole was. The wrong people find the hole. In fact, Jesus tells another story about a guy who is out digging in a field. He finds the treasure and says, oh, this is not my field, but I want this to be my treasure. So he goes and buys the field because the owner of the field forgot that the treasure is right there. In fact, there's a, you remember the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which are old versions of the Old Testament, but there's other things in the Dead Sea Scrolls as well. One of the things in the Dead Sea Scrolls is a scroll that is a list of where all the treasures are. These are the places where significant things have been buried. I don't know how that hasn't been turned into a movie yet, uh, but, but that was a common thing. But it seemed like a safe choice when in reality it wasn't. It was a way of ducking out and avoiding his responsibility and then blaming the master say well master it's because you're so unfair and because you do all the, ah, so I just listen if you know do something here's the deal the master would have forgiven a bad investment far quicker than no investment in fact in our lives God can fix the mistakes that we make while we're trying to move in the right direction. Much easier than he can fix us sitting on our hands and not moving. A lot of times we have ministry things. We have things where I don't want to stick my neck out. What if I get this wrong? What if I say something to somebody? Listen, he can fix us being flawed, dumb, and ineffective sometimes. But it's really hard to fix when we don't move and we don't do anything. Something is better than nothing. The master says to the servant, stick it in the bank. Get some interest on this. I don't care if it's 1.8%. Do something with it. Because something is always better than nothing. God invests in my life. God has expectations for my life. And he even tells us that God holds me accountable in my life. 
Now, now this gets a little bit more intense as we move through it, but I want to tell you that every single one of these things is a reflection of the personal God who cares about my life and how I spend my life. It's an amazing thing that the God of this universe cares what I do on Tuesday. He does. It's an amazing thing that God cares what unfolds in your life. And in fact, he cares so much that he is going to hold us accountable for how we spend the resources that he's given to us. Now this passage gets a little heavy at the end. It tells us that this third servant is cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now again, we have to kind of figure out exactly how we're going to unpack that. I would tell you that when I read this passage of Scripture, I don't believe that the weight of this particular passage is a weight on heaven and hell and salvation. Because every single one of the servants already belongs to the master. Every single one of the servants receives the investment or the gift. And I would tell you, it doesn't make sense that the master or God would come take salvation away from one servant and give it to another servant so they are extra saved. That, that, that's not what's there. In this passage, what Jesus is trying to teach us is that there's two different ways to live. You as a believer in Christ, you as a follower of Jesus, you as a disciple, there are extremes on how you can live that life. I'm going to flip this from the first service, but over here, he, he says to one group, well done, good and faithful servant. I like that. That's got a ring to it. I, I like that. But he says, you know, that's not the only way to live life. He says to another group, don't take this personally, you, you wicked and slothful servant. There, there are these extremes of what it looks like to live as a follower of Christ, one in which he can say, well done, good and faithful servant, and another extreme in the same expression of living life in Christ that he says, wicked and slothful. He says to the first group, he says, enter into my joy. Boy, that sounds good. The master comes in and says, man, come be as happy as I am. Experience my blessings. God says, come and enter into my joy. To the other, he says, may you be cast out into utter darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, God does invest in our lives. He does bless us with all kinds of resource. He does entrust us with much. But he also cares how you, the believer, live. I think one of the greatest mistakes that we can make spiritually is that we can confuse the finish line with the start line. You see, there's a lot of times in which we come, now that I'm a person who's saved, I have reached the finish line. Years ago, I ran in the Houston Marathon. Uh, the Houston Marathon is one of the larger marathons, just a little humble brag, I was at the back. But, but the thing is, there's about 10,000 people that run at that thing. 
And everybody's got to line up to get on that thing. And so they kind of tell you, this is how many blocks back you have to be to get in line to go. And the gun goes off, ready, get set, go. And it takes you about 10 minutes to get to the start line where the race even begins. Now here's the thing. If in my excitement, if in my uh, not paying attention to getting caught up in the adrenaline of the moment and I'm so excited and all that energy is running through me and I'm waiting for that 10 minutes get to the start line but I see that line and I say huh this must be the finish line and then I just kind of pull over sit down and say you know where's my Gatorade uh, I finished I will have missed the entire experience because that's the start, not the end. I'm going to tell you that there is a gravitational pull inside of our lives. That when we come to realize that Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives and we receive the forgiveness of our sins, sometimes it has been a journey that gets us all the way to that start line. It's been so many twists and turns to get us to that point. And we get to the point of that start line where we give our lives to Christ. Sometimes the journey to that point has felt so significant that we cross that starting line. And then we pull over and just sit down. You see, when you came to know Christ as the forgiver of your sins, the Lord, the master of your life, that's the beginning. That's when you are entrusted with all of these things and God says, I care, I see, I know how you live the next 26.2 miles of life. And what I want you to do is I want you to be faithful all the way across to that finish line. I want you to run the whole thing. He says, because there is a difference between good and faithful and wicked and slothful. There is a difference between come and experience my joy and man over there. God cares how you live your life. Would you run all the way to the finish line knowing that he has in, in gifted you, he has expectations for you, and there will come a day in which he holds you accountable. Real quick, let's take a look at a couple of responses for now what. The first one is, just to take a little bit of an inventory of your life and kind of look at some of those resources that he's given you, your platform, your resources, your relationships, your strengths, all your experiences, all of those things. And kind of take a look and say, what is the, the next one of those resources that I need to get into the marketplace? Remember, that's what the that's what that first servant did. He took what was entrusted to him and at once he invested it in public so something happened with it. What is something that God has given you, entrusted you with that you need to get off the sideline and get into this world so that there's a return on that investment? 
What is something that he's given you that you're supposed to get into this world so that something happens with what he gave you? And then secondly, I want us to hear and to feel the words of Jesus. And I want you to know every time he says, I love you. But I want us to hear all the words of Jesus. And in this passage of scripture, he calls us out. And he calls us wicked or slothful. And before you leave this morning, I want you to just have a moment with Jesus and say, is there a part of my life where I've been spiritually slothful? I don't mean that you went three days without making your bed. I'm talking about the things that matter deep inside of your heart. That the Holy Spirit kind of says, man, you've just kind of put this on a shelf. You've quit trying. You've quit working on this. You've just let this thing go. I don't know what that is in your life, but I have a feeling that the Spirit of God may be speaking it to you right now. So identify what do you need to get what what do you need to get into the marketplace? And what do you need to confess that you've been slothful with? If you want to come and pray at the front, you can do that. But understand this belongs to you and Jesus. This isn't mine. This is you and Jesus. So let me pray.